May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just this week, um, I, I was down in uh, Polly's Island, South Carolina. It was a uh, it was a difficult time. It was a work event, you know. Um, but uh, the uh, the presbyters from all over the Anglican Mission gathered together in Pauly's Island for a, a time of retreat and, and teaching and, and um, well, just pulling away and that sort of thing. It was difficult, I must tell you, to wake up to the sound of the ocean roaring against my window every morning. Um, but I was delighted to leave and head home. And as I was heading my, my way back up, you know, if you, if you drive that road from... Um, uh, from Myrtle Beach up to uh, Florence, South Carolina. As you're driving up along this road, I saw this sign. It was a, it was a dark sign with neon painting that said, Sparky Souvenir Shop. <laughs> it had this picture of this little black and white spotted dog. And, and it said, Fireworks for Sale. And I thought, oh, you know, whatever. And I just drove up a little bit more. And then about five more miles, there was another Sparky sign. And this time, Sparky was advertising T-shirts, three for $10. Oh, okay, and I drove up another mile, and there's another Sparky sign. And for the next 30 miles, there were signs about every 20 yards or so for Sparkies. I think these people must own every billboard between Florence and, and Myrtle Beach. And, and you know that by the time I got up to Florence, you know what I had to do, don't you? I saw Sparkies there on the side of the road, so I had to pull in and check it out and see what was all you know what was going on. And sure enough, they had fireworks and. Bees, honey, and, and soap, and everything that you could possibly imagine, they sold there at Sparky's. But it was a bit disappointing, to be honest with you, because, you know, they had built me up for a long time. And, and I got in there, and it was, it was really kind of, uh, you know, just those cheap souvenir things that you really don't want. And, and so I actually left without having bought a single thing. It just completely took me off of my, my time schedule and my, my uh, you know, whatever, just, just to stop and look and see what they had at Sparky's. But I thought about how signs are really kind of important and the way that they work. And, and I, I, found some, I found some other signs. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a restaurant gas station near Santa Fe that reads, Eat here and get gas. I'm not sure that really came off the way that they meant it to, but it, it, it did. And there was, a, there was a convent in Baltimore. Trespassers will be par- prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, signed the Sisters of Mercy. Um, yeah. On a New York building, a sign that says, Help wanted a woman to sew buttons on the fourth floor. I don't know why people would want to sew buttons on the floor, but um, maybe they need them there. You'll think about that later. It'll get you. Um, there's one in New Hampshire Medical Building that says, Martin Diabetes Professional Associates. Only they, they abbreviated associate in the most unfortunate way. So that, um, yeah, that's another one that will get you at lunchtime. Uh, there was a, one on a convalescent home in New York for the sick and tired of the Episcopal Church. Uh, I don't think that's exactly what they meant either. And then in Kentucky, an appliance store had a sign, Don't kill your wife, let our washing machines do the dirty work. Um, <laughs> That probably didn't, you know, they don't communicate exactly what it is that they were trying to say. Uh, but they do communicate something. The signs that communicate. And, and as I read through the Old Testament lesson today, this lesson from Isaiah, you have to think about the way that prophets work. The prophet says, I see signs up ahead. They're signs that probably don't say what you think they're going to say. They're signs of good news and hope. The people of Israel in the year 587 were invaded by another country, the country of Babylon. 
It was, um, it was a time where it was, uh, nations were often overtaking smaller nations uh, to, to consume them and make them larger. There was, there was an Assyrian empire that consumed small nations. And, and then the Babylonians came. And after the Babylonians, the Persians. And after the Persians, the Greeks. After the Greeks, the Romans. I mean, this is a time where there was great turnover uh, in, in the, the superpowers of the day. And Israel had experienced being taken over by the nation of Babylon. It was a difficult time to be an Israelite. Because in the ancient Near Eastern world, the one protection you had was your God. You know, our God is going to protect us. Or if you were an invading army, you would bring your gods with you. And our gods are stronger than your gods. And so here it is, you have Israel, who's been invaded by Babylon. They, their, their people have been deported. You, you know, just from watching the news, that it's very difficult to fight wars far away from home. The ancient Near Eastern world was no different. The only thing was, when they fought a war far away from home, they would go in and round up the civilians. They would literally take them out of their homes with whatever clothing and you know, small items they could carry with them. They would put them in these large caravans and they would deport them thousands of miles away from their home. You didn't have to worry about insurrection. You didn't have to worry about guerrilla warfare. You didn't have to worry about the natives getting restless. You just moved them out of their homes. And you moved them thousands of miles away. You put them in little kind of ghetto type areas where the only thing that they could worry about was getting something to eat that day. And in their homes, you would place your own people. You would put out an advert, perhaps, in the Babylonian Gazette. We have a nice summer home in Palestine. It's free and open. All you have to do is show up and take it. And so people would move into these vacated homes. But imagine being an Israelite. Imagine being a Jew. You've been moved from your home. You've been taken out of your, your native land. It looks for all intents and purposes as if God Himself has abandoned you. Your enemies are running over you. You should read psalms like the 137th Psalm. It's, it's set to a real bluesy tone. When I used to teach at the university, I used to read it with the blues playing behind me so that students could get the real feel of it. Um, but by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. We sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. In fact, it's such a depressing psalm. At the end of it, the, the, the people of Israel actually pray that someone will come along and smash the baby's of the, of the Babylonians' heads against the rocks. Happy is the person who kills the next generation of Babylonians, is what they said. It was that difficult. It was that harsh, their existence. And here comes Isaiah the prophet. And he says, you know what? I see some signs up ahead. The first sign, he says, is the end to oppression. He says, God has spoken, and this is what God is saying. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I'm about to do something new in the world. All this pain, all this living in Babylon, all this, this suffering that you've been through, no more. In fact, notice God is speaking. He's speaking into the midst of difficulty and oppression. And He says, you know, all your bitterness is going to be replaced by joy. Be glad and rejoice in that which I create. I imagine the people of Babylon would, or people of Israel living in Babylon would say something like, Rejoice? Are you kidding me? Look around, God. There's not much to rejoice about. We're living in the ghetto. We're under the thumb of the Babylonians. Remember our homes back in Jerusalem? 
They were nice. We had nice homes back there. And you've taken us away from all that. And the prophet Isaiah says, No, God is about to do a new thing. He's about to create a new way of living. And it's going to be great and you're going to love it. It's going to be time of rejoicing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place in your life where you say, Oh Lord, if, if only... If only you would break into this situation and change it. If only you would come in and, and not make it like it is. If you would bring something new. Isaiah says this is what God does. He's, he's actually kind of in the renewal business. He, he, he's the one who takes bad things and He changes them around. And maybe you think to yourself, yeah, well that's probably like Sparky's souvenir shop. You know, it, it sounds pretty good until you get up there and it's a bit disappointing. No, Isaiah says. God is not like that. God breaks into the present situation and does great things. In fact, He fills your life with abundance. Oh, you heard it, didn't you? Babies aren't going to die anymore. People are going to live to be a hundred. Uh, it's going to be a time of great, uh, uh, of great um, prosperity. Uh, you're going to eat the fruit of your land. There's going to be times of blessing and thanksgiving. I mean, it just sounds like utopia, doesn't it? And you say for just a moment, But Wait! Look around. Hello, Father, have you seen the news lately? I mean, Haiti, have you paid attention? Uh, do, do you not see what's going on in the inner cities? Cleveland and that? We don't have to go far. There's a lot of people who are living in ways where there's not abundance. Where babies still are dying. Where things are going very... I mean, did Isaiah not see that far ahead? Well, he does, doesn't he? He does see a world. And part of that is here with us already. For all the difficulties that we can think about in this world, think about the way that our world has changed. Think about the way that our world has developed because of Christianity. Think about the hospitals that exist all around the world because people of faith have taken medicine in areas where otherwise it wouldn't be. When I was in Africa a few years ago, I was, I was just appalled. And, and I won't even go into it, but the ways that they believe that you can cure AIDS. Um, by raping children is one way that you can cure AIDS. As, as absurd as that sounds to you, let me tell you, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who believe that. Because they're so desperate for anything to work. And yet, into this vacuum, people have come brought medicine, they've brought um, hospitals, they've, they've brought uh, resources that have, have brought health and, and healing. Not in a complete sense, but in a beginning sense. And part of what I did, Isaiah is saying to Israel is God is going to end this exile. But I think he's saying it more than just to Israel. I think he says it to the world. God is going to end this exile where sin and selfishness destroy us. And where generosity and God's blessing come upon us. And suddenly it's going to be a different way of living, a different world. And I don't know maybe if you've ever been in a place where you've, um, you've wanted and longed for something to change. And seen it happen that you know that God does bring miracles. He does do things in places where you didn't think it could happen. He can bring about a real and lasting change. But that's not all. It ends in, in verses 24 and 25. Um, before they call, I will answer. God is speaking. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. 
For 70 years, it's been exile. It's been silence. It's been people pounding on the doors of heaven, and there is no answer. And so it's not a quick fix, is it? But the prophet says, listen, that's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end such that God is actually going to begin to call upon you. He's going to answer your prayers before you even lift them up. He's going to break into your life and change it. The wolf is going to graze with the lamb. Allow Isaiah just a little bit of poetic license here, will you? Just a little bit of poetry. It's not about wolves suddenly becoming, um, uh, what do you call them, herbivores. <laughs> you know, it's not about, uh, about wolves and, and lions no longer wanting prey. It's about a world in which there is a real peaceful existence. Where people live at peace with one another and with God. This is the Hebrew word, shalom. God is going to bring His shalom. He's going to bring His wholeness to life. And they're going to see this. Human relationships are going to be repaired. God will take the initiative. God will speak. God will act on our lives. If this morning, if in your life this morning, there is this reality this awareness of God's presence in your life. And you at times think, or think to yourself, thank you God. Thank you for, for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the blessings that you've given me. I look around and I see the people and, and, and the, the, the environments and all the things. I see my work that's meaningful and brings a lot of... Uh, of mean, I, all these things. If you at ever take a moment and think about those and thank God for them. Let me tell you, that is not your awareness taking the initiative. That is God who is helping you to be aware of all the blessings that He's given you. Even the very little good things that we do in this world aren't our own initiative. It's God's grace acting upon us such that it comes out in ways of doing goodness. Such that our Christian life is not about doing one more good thing. But it's rather about God's good working through us and in us. And so this morning, if you hear Isaiah's signs, look, utopia is coming, peace is coming, shalom is coming, and you say, eh, it's kind of probably like Sparky's souvenir store. It's, it's probably not all that it's cracked up to be. Well, it is. It is exactly what it is. In a world where we're so used to people lying to us, Isaiah says, trust me on this one. This is worth a stop and look. There's a story about a, a young man who, um, who went to a competitive uh, private school, and, and he got into Harvard. He was in the pre-med program and was working really hard and, and, and was at the top of his class. And, and after his second year, after his sophomore year, he had a chance to go to Tibet. And so he goes to Tibet and he's, he's uh, climbing the mountains and he visits this uh, Buddhist monastery and, and the, the, the monks say to him, your life is all about competition. All you care about is getting good grades to beat the person next to you. All you care about is, is, is having the prettiest girlfriend so you can have one that everybody else wants. You, you, all you care about is, is competition and you don't know real happiness. Uh, you come and, and live with us and we'll teach you the secret of real happiness. We, we hold nothing in possession. We, we share everything equally and so on. And so he did. He wrote to his, his parents, Mom, Dad, I'm not going back to Harvard. I'm staying in the monastery, whatever, whatever. And he stays. And after a couple of years, he writes back to Mom and Dad. And he says, I know I disappointed you by not going back to the school. But I want you to know that I've done really well here in this monastery in Tibet. In fact, I have risen to the rank of second disciple. And I hope by June to be the first disciple. <laughs> and you'll think about that in a minute. He, he, the whole thing is about competition. You can pretend. You can change the outward 
circumstances. But if your heart hasn't changed, you're the same person. All you've done is rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. Isaiah says, I see a sign up ahead. The end of exile for Israel. And by the time of Jesus, they're thinking it's about kicking Rome out, having a new theocracy. And Jesus says, no, it's not about kicking Rome out. It's about realizing that God can bring real peace and wholeness to your life. He can put all the pieces back together, as it were, and you'll find a life of real abundance. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself says it this way, doesn't he? I came to bring you life and to bring it in abundance. This is the hope of the gospel. Amen.